Hello, beautiful soul, and welcome to the Her Higher Self podcast. I'm your host, Shari Angelina, Minds and the Manifestation Coach, NLP practitioner, and known as the Queen of Intuition. I'm beyond excited to share with you all that I know about mindset, manifestation, holistic health, wealth, spirituality, relationships, and really anything that will help you discover your true potential in all areas of your life. I'm here to inspire, initiate, guide, and lead you to become your truest self and to take your power back by understanding your mind, body, and soul. Because I know that there is nothing as magnetic as being your most authentic self. So if you are ready to manifest your dream life with ease and in peace, we are about to become soul besties because your success is my success, babe. I hope you can feel how much love I'm sending to you through this podcast. And without further ado, let's dive right in and manifest some magic. Hello, hello, beautiful soul. Welcome to another episode of the Her Higher Self podcast. I'm so excited for today's podcast because I'm bringing back Kimberly to this beautiful show. Kimberly is a nutritionist and holistic health coach who specializes in menstrual cycle alignment and is a strong voice in the movement of endometriosis awareness. And that is what we're talking about today. This episode is so beautiful energetically. And whether you've got a diagnosis of having endometriosis or you don't know what that is, I really want to encourage you to tune in today to listen in. Whether you've got it or not, this episode can bring you so many tips towards managing your cycle and leveraging your feminine energy. She works with women one-on-one and expanding her influence with menstrual cycle alignment workshops, both in Australia, where she lives, and soon to come online. So keep your eyes peeled. I'm so excited. The energy, like I said, of this podcast was absolutely amazing. I absolutely adore Kimberly. Her work is so important and we're overlapping a little bit because I do teach about menstrual cycle alignment in my program, her highest have as well, because both of us know the importance and the gift of understanding your menstrual cycle. Now, if you're curious and you want to know what endometriosis even is or how to manage it and how to support other people in this world with that condition, then tune in, enjoy this podcast, leave all your love, come with an open heart, and you will get so much out of it. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Hello, hello, beautiful souls. I'm sitting here with Kimberly. You might already know her from the first episode that we've done about the menstrual cycle, leveraging your feminine flow and really, really learning about this so that you can step into your feminine power. Today, we're coming back for a second episode and talking about endo, which I always just say endo because I can never pronounce the full term, but Kimberly's going to jump in and help me. And yeah, so I'm so excited to talk about this today because I've been actually getting to know a lot more women that suffer from endo. And before we get into all the details, Kimberly, can you just 
real quickly say the word <laughs> so, <laughs> what it's really called and just maybe start right away with explaining what that even is Yes, um, endometriosis is how you say it. And thank you again for having me back for this second part. I love talking about endometriosis because there needs to be more awareness. There are so many women. So the number is one in nine in Australia. And for the rest of the world, it's around one in 10 um, women and people who suffer from this condition. So that's a phenomenal number, like 10%, 10% of women. It's huge. Um, so endometriosis is where cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus end up growing on the outside of the uterus. And it's very, very painful, <laughs> very, very painful. So when it grows outside the uterus, it can grow um, on your bowel, it can grow on your ovaries, your bladder, your fallopian tubes, all through the pelvic cavity. In um, rare instances, it can grow on the diaphragm, on the lungs, on the brain. Like oh, it, had, it's like- a full body disease. Yeah. Ooh. And you were saying like, people can men get that as well or it's just so it is a disease um of women uh, of people who were born as women but then obviously uh, not everybody remains as women they might choose to tra- um, trans to uh, a man so then but because that doesn't um make them immune from this condition they can still be a man and now suffering from endometriosis okay. which as you can imagine, would be really complicated as well. Um, mm. Yeah, because it is a woman's disease. So if if um, these men are trying to seek treatment for this condition, it's already hard as a woman to get a proper diagnosis. So um, if you're now a man getting treatment and proper diagnosis and not being discriminated against in the medical system is just even harder again. I can imagine because I know... And let's talk about this. I know generally like a lot of women obviously um, take the pill and like oftentimes when you go to a doctor like and have any kind of symptom, like the first answer is to get the pill. And I think a lot of women um, that are diagnosed, they're just being shown with a solution of taking the pill again. What are like the symptoms of endometriosis is that correct endometriosis yeah I always need to write down the word one time so I can like you know have it in my mind but basically what are like the symptoms of that and I also know your personal story maybe you can share a bit of like how often you went to like different doctors in order to actually get the diagnosis and really listening to your body and not giving up maybe you can get into that a little bit Sure. Um, So some common symptoms of endometriosis is um, pain, quite debilitating pain for some women. It is um, a bit of a sliding scale, um, but pain generally around menstruation. So the time that you're menstruating, that is when um, most women experience their endometriosis flare up. Um, However, certain lifestyle stresses and whatever's happening in your life can also flare it up at times outside of your period as well but for the most part it's when you're menstruating so it could be 
pain during sex. It could be painful bowel movements, um, painful urination. It can cause infertility, excess bleeding, um, things like that. And then you do really have to adapt your lifestyle around to to cater for this pain, especially if you know that you're going to experience a certain level of pain for, say, a week. Um, myself, personally, it's about five days out of every month, which I am completely on bed rest or on the couch, just binging Netflix. Like my cognitive function is also not there. So um, I don't really like taking painkillers, but I have to take painkillers. So I'm a bit of a zombie during that time as well. And if I do the calculation, that's almost three months out of the year that I spend in bed or on the Mm -hmm. couch. And like, that's just me. And that's 10% of women that also experience that. Now, some women might not be as, you know, knocked out or have it as debilitating, but a a lot of us do. Um, And it can feel all sorts of ways. So a lot of women describe it as like a burning sensation or a ripping sensation. Like it could feel like you have barbed wire um, wrapped around your ovaries and uterus um it can feel like a knife stabbing into your bowel or into your uterus like there's so many different ways that this pain is felt um yeah uh, you you know we talked about like obviously last time of like how you can leverage your flow and just like a little refresher knowing that you have those different seasons and when you are in your winter season when you are having your period week, you resting and being intuitive and listening to your needs can obviously really, really reduce the amount of pain you're having or any kind of PMS symptoms, even like emotional eating, it can really, really support that because for me for instance like I'm really intentional and we talked about this about like when I have my winter time like that I just take more rest and that I just don't make plans so that I can flow and decide in the moment is that what I need right now is that what I want right now obviously some women might like experience really heavy pain because they're not really honoring their cycle because we are in this hustle kind of world and like we cannot stop now what would you say if someone like is like, oh my God, should I like check that out? Should I go to a doctor? When should like when is the point where we can almost differentiate a little bit being like you're just being like kind of stressed, maybe not honoring your cycle versus like, no, really, please go and seek a doctor. And if a doctor tells you no, everything is okay, go more times just to make sure that it's okay. Mm. Yeah, well, one of the biggest myths that I hear is that painful periods are normal and they're absolutely not. So, you know, some cramping and a small amount of pain is normal. Um, It's a hormone called prostaglandins, which is responsible for um, the contraction of your uterus when you're menstruating to um, expel your menstrual blood. Um, And that can cause a bit of cramping, but absolutely it should never um, interrupt your day or stop you from doing your usual activities. So if you're experiencing pain that is making you curl over or need to take heavy painkillers or is unbearable or debilitating, putting you in bed, if you're experiencing really painful bowel movements or if it's, you know, um, 
if you're having pain during sex or after sex as well, these are all indications that something is not quite right. It doesn't necessarily mean you can say, oh, I have endometriosis because you do need to be diagnosed with it just to rule out that it's not something else. Um, But unfortunately, at the moment with endo, it does take on average seven to 11 years to diagnose. Um, And that's just because it's often diagnosed as other things. So for example, if you have painful bowel movements, uh, it can often be diagnosed as irritable bowel syndrome mm. and they try to IBS. put all of the, yes, <laughs> the name yes. for everything, you know, yes. like, oh my gosh, I have uh, celiac and I've been told I have IBS for like 10 years. I'm like, okay, 10 years of my life. I thought I had IBS which no one really understands what that truly is and how you can take care of it it's a blanket term because it's it doesn't really specifically diagnose anything um IBS is just a blanket term of like we know you're having some issues with your bowel movements you have IBS (laughs) yes no give us a proper diagnosis and endometriosis often falls into that same trap as well um and Yeah, I mean, I've been to several doctors before I found a good one who actually listened to me. And, you know, it started off for many years, I had painful sex. And it was really, I didn't, at the time, I wasn't really cycle aware either. So I didn't really link it up that I had painful sex when it was close to my period. But at other points in my cycle, I was fine. But then it got to the point that it was just painful all the time. Mm. Um, So that was like adapting the lifestyle as well of like, okay, I couldn't have penetrative sex anymore. So I had to figure out, okay, how do I still enjoy sex without penetration? And I sort of ignored the symptom because I, I don't know, changed my life to not have that symptom anymore. And then I went to the doctor um, cause I got a new partner and I want to, and this is the partner that I'm with now. And it's like, obviously we wanted to enjoy penetrative sex together and it just wasn't working for me. It was causing me so much pain. And I went to the doctor and she had told me, and I specifically went to her because she on her profile had the, and I was new to town. So I was trying to find a new doctor and on her profile, she had that, she was a really interested in women's wellness and women's issues. And I was like, perfect. That's the type of doctor that I need right now. And she had told me that um, the reason why sex was painful was because I was not aroused enough. And I was just like, oh my God, excuse me. Because I'm, I'm very open talking about sex and I am very in touch with my sexuality and in touch with my body and I would just remember being so offended when she said this to me um and yeah I had another doctor as well because I was talking about my because it affects I have endo on my bowels um so it affects my bowel movements as well they had suggested IBS um no one could get to the bottom of my fatigue issues I've been told that painful periods are normal it's just like medical gaslighting over and over and over again and then I, I finally started sorry to interrupt you I started oh, taking the pill because I had I mean I don't I believe right now that I'm so much in tune with my cycle and I don't have any pain like I have literally I can tell for like an hour okay the construction is happening construction contraction (laughs) is happening and 
that's it. Like I can tell, but I can also tell when I'm stressed that it's different. But I was told by the doctor to take the pill when I was probably like 15. No, I was probably 16, maybe. But I was told to take the pill because I was having such painful periods. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really normal. You just got to take the pill and then you don't have that anymore. And because I was like missing in school at that time when I had my period and stuff like this, because I was just like not feeling good. Obviously, it's very different. Like when you have your period, like for the first times, like you're just young. It's like I'm a lot more in tune with my body now. But I was like, oh, okay, well, that's the solution. I was like, no risk, explain anything. And so I want to just quickly, before you continue with your story, because I think it's so important because it is, you know, you're like really open to talk about your sexuality and stuff like that, or your bowel movements even. I think that's even a topic where a lot of women are like, cringe I cannot talk about it like I've been conditioned to believe that that's not like that's not beautiful that's not sexy that's not what a woman does like you know and I feel like we also need to address that when you go to a doctor and that doctor doesn't listen to you like you know from the sound of what you're explaining she just assuming about you that you're not being aroused she's probably not asking your questions in order to even understand how that situation in the first place if you go to any doctor where you don't feel you can talk completely open where you can feel any kind of judgment where you think that person isn't listening or asking enough questions for me now and in the past it wasn't I would just like shut up because it would like make me so uncomfortable or I would feel like oh I'm like out of my um like you know it's not my right to ask those questions it's not my right to take that much time from the doctor or whatever but if you're listening to this Mm, and this is this is previous conditioning as well that we Mm. are conditioned to not ask not ask questions or take up someone's time yeah exactly specifically in doctor offices like when I go to the doctor you can already tell there's a stressed environment and stuff like this so I know it's easy to go just to the doctor that you went to and that to stay with that. But if you're listening to this, I want you to be empowered to go to even seven doctors if that is what it takes to find one that listens to you, that makes you feel like you can talk about everything, like that creates that safe environment for you. Because, you know, you are very like in tune with yourself. But I think a lot of women already at that start, they would have been like, oh, okay, so I am the problem clearly like I'm not aroused enough I'm this whatever like they just take that little sentence from the doctor and make that their story and I feel like it's just important to address that how like it does take courage to be like you know what I'm walking away from this and I'm getting a different opinion and I'm going to to that many doctor offices that I find the doctor that is going to be like, how is this? How is that making you feel like asking me all the questions, taking the time, making me feel like I'm safe to say what is actually going on with my body and not feeling judged or kind of like looked down in it being like, oh my God, she's like overreacting. Like, you know, like this cliche women conditioning. Mm-hmm. That's just what I wanted to quickly say, because that's something that you did so fabulously to be like, okay, excuse me. No, no, no. (laughs) I'm moving on going to a different doctor because I think a lot of women stop there. And that's why I think your story is so powerful and why I wanted you to talk about this, to inspire other women to do the same because it takes courage. So it's 
-hmm. it shouldn't take courage but it does take courage and like the conditioning that we have created like as a society yeah I just want to touch on you've sort of um uh, created a new thought for me how confusing it is when you don't have answers and when you don't know what's going on with your body like I feel very empowered now because I have been diagnosed and I have had the surgery I've seen the extent I work with a naturopath now like I've got my plan and it's working for me and I'm used to how my body works but previously before having the diagnosis it was a really confusing time and um it was nice of you to say uh, that, you know, I didn't take no for an answer, but I'm not going to lie and say that in between each doctor's visit, it took me years. Like, and that's why they say it takes seven to 11 years to get a proper diagnosis, because it's not as if I walked out of that doctor's office and was like, okay, better book another appointment. I was really discouraged and I still felt lost and confused and didn't have any answers and a couple of months went by until my partner again was like, um, this is not normal that you feel this way because he would see me in so much pain. And he's like, that's not normal. Humans don't, don't experience that much pain. And he had to really encourage me to book more appointments. So it took a really long time to actually get the answers. But it's so interesting because when I finally found that amazing doctor, mm-hmm. It was very, very quick. Like she asked me so many questions and and straight away she said, you know what? It sounds like you have endometriosis. Obviously, I can't tell you that straight away, but she's saying all signs point to this. She sent me for blood tests. She sent me for ultrasounds, both external and internal ultrasounds. And they found cysts. And then that triggered that me to see a gynecologist. The gynecologist did an internal examination. She said she could feel abnormal tissue. Then she suggested the surgery. Then I had the surgery. And it was like, it happened. That all happened within three weeks. Wow. Like it happened very, very quickly. And um, that shows you also that like the, what you're saying, that the average diagnosis takes seven to 10 years, that this is why this conversation, why like I really wanted to talk to you about this on my podcast is I think women, like I just want to be, want to take and support your work and women feeling empowered to say no and continue on and go to the doctors and go to a different doctor until they find one that actually listens I feel like it's getting a little bit easier now in the sense that there is more women or more doctors in general like not female doctors probably only but more doctors that are more focused on women's health or women's um, wellness or that might even be specialized in endo by now. And Mm -hmm. I think the conversation is starting and I think it's so important, like the work you do to just bring that to all kinds of possible channels and your story, Mm -hmm. because for you, you know, it could have been a lot faster if you were with the right doctor in the beginning and that could have saved you probably a lot, a lot of confusion feeling lost feeling like you're different mm-hmm. maybe as well I don't know if that is something like you said but when your yes. partner says that's not what like normal is and you're like oh my gosh oh, another like but even even now I still struggle with feeling different for example um just my period just gone I it broke me I've been dealing with this for so long now and I have a treatment plan but it's still debilitating for me um and it just broke me down. And I was like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to live with this anymore. I had spent the week on the couch. I, and I had, you know, 
uni assignments due and I had to take a week off work and it was just it broke me it literally broke me down and I was like I cannot believe this is my life like I don't want to live with this and like I'm obviously over it now my hormones are on the way back up and I'm feeling fine I'm not in any pain and I can go back to dealing with my you know go going back to embracing my life the way that I in, intend to but it really still does get you down because it is it's not recognized as a disability, but I I tend to disagree. If you're, you know, sick on the couch or you're completely knocked out on the couch for a week of every month, to me, that's, I don't want to say it's a disability, but it's, it is, it's debilitating. It stops you from doing your life. Um, So you have to live with that and to create, you have to try and still empower yourself and not get too attached to it. But then there's like identity issues. Like there's a lot of personal work that I still am going through and need to do in order to be able to live with this condition from an empowered place. And I know for a lot of people, that's really, really hard. And maybe they don't do the work and they define themselves by an illness. Um, I'm trying to not be a victim. Actually, early on, I spent a lot of time in like this victim mentality of like, why me? And um, yeah, but now I'm trying to feel empowered of like, okay, what can I do to make it better? How can I be better? How can I um, raise awareness? Like all of these things, but the journey, I'm still like in the middle of that journey. I'm not going to say I have all of the answers when it comes to that at the moment. Yeah, but you have so much wisdom around that. And I feel like more so just what women can relate to, because exactly what we're talking about, like, it's probably one out of 10 worldwide, but maybe in your friends group, your friends don't actually have endo and they don't understand why you are knocked out for a week. And it's just when you feel like kind of alone on that journey, I think what you can give women is just being like, no, you're not alone. Actually, it's very common. And actually, it's a conversation we have to have. And then obviously, mm-hmm. you do have a bunch of wisdom of like how to deal with it, how to be empowered, how to like live your life around it and everything if you think about like if someone is listening to this and it's like okay right I get it I'm gonna find a doctor that really takes me seriously I've actually maybe already have been diagnosed with endo what are some tips you can give to make um that time of the month or when you have flare-ups kind of like I don't know what is a good word for this but to kind of deal with it almost like you know to like mm-hmm. yeah. not have a completely necessary take over your life or just to like mm-hmm. down some symptoms to just feel better in that time yeah well the first thing is if you let's say you're at the point where you've been diagnosed or, or even if you are someone who just experiences you're, you're not diagnosed but you know that you're experiencing this pain every month you do have to, you can't do your life like everyone else because your life looks different to everyone else. So you have to figure out how to make your life work for you. So I spend a lot of energy um, in raising awareness with not just like, you know, this wide net on the internet, but it's like um, with people in my life, I try to educate my parents, my partner, my workplace. I've spent a lot of energy educating my workplace and my work colleagues around this um, because, you know, I didn't actually know what endometriosis was before. Well, I, I knew what it was, but I didn't know the depth of it until I had a diagnosis myself. 
And even still, like that was a really steep learning curve. So you can't expect everyone to know what it is or to understand what you experience. So I, yeah, I think step one is understanding it yourself, educating people around you what it is so they understand what you are experiencing. And then I also plan ahead. So I'll cook meals ahead of time. So I'm not constantly ordering food to my house or you know, during that time, I can't really cook. So I just make sure I have food to eat and just really normalize asking for help. Like it's really hard if like, for me, I'm such an independent person that it's really quite difficult to ask for help. So um, yeah, just starting to train yourself almost to be okay with asking for help. And these people that you have explained or spent a lot of energy into explaining the condition to oftentimes will be willing to help you as well um yeah and doing whatever personal work you need to do to get over that barrier of asking for help because a lot of us don't we like to do things all on our own um and then there's obviously like figuring out what pain management is best for you so I generally don't like to take painkillers but there are some points where it's just so unbearable that I have to in some countries you can have medicinal marijuana I know that works well for some people you can have heat packs you can have TENS machines I have a TENS device um, which I use um yeah, there's also, and just, yeah, experimenting with different pain management and seeing what pain management works for you as well. And obviously just taking care of your body. Like this endometriosis causes like chronic inflammation throughout the body. So if you think of things like anti-inflammatory diets, um, people don't, a lot of people don't understand how important exercise is in reducing inflammation in the body as well and alleviating those symptoms. So while you can't necessarily exercise while you're knocked out on the couch or in bed, the rest of the month for the three weeks that you have, make sure you're going for walks every day or doing yoga or finding exercise that feels good for you. Like you have to have to move your body. Um, Yeah. Research, research, Mm -hmm. research. Yeah. So creating awareness around it, communicating to the people you love or that you're in contact with, and then learning your own personal way of managing your pain, preparing for it, and really taking care of yourself, just to summarize, like kind of like the me. Yes, that's perfect. And yes. um, you were saying finding your like personal way of managing your pain. Maybe you can just share how you manage that pain for you, because I'm sure it will give a lot of women the inspiration ideas of how to manage pain, maybe in different mm-hmm. ways and just painkillers for instance yeah all right I'll be really vulnerable here because this is something I don't talk about openly because in Australia it's not currently legal but I use marijuana when I have a flare-up because I find it takes away the pain and I prefer that over any heavy painkillers now obviously I don't encourage everybody to do that that's a personal choice I made um, after Um, a lot of research and um, sourcing really high quality organic um, material, if that's what you want to call it. Um, So I use that as a pain reliever. I use heat packs. I use TENS machines. I take um, high strength turmeric, which is a really potent anti-inflammatory agent. So 
Um, that helps to reduce the inflammation. What else did I say? I use a tens machine. I think I did. I that helps if I have to move about. Um, I prefer heat. So I prefer heat packs, but if I have to actually be standing up and moving about for whatever reason, I try not to. The TENS machine is great for that. I spend a lot of time in baths, like heat, all like heat that completely surrounds you, like front and back, like and water heat is amazing for endo pain relief. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be sitting in the bath for several hours a day um, when I have my period. So that's how I personally manage my pain. Um, and that works for me, but we are also unique and our bodies react to things differently and different things respond different to other people. So, um, and always do your research, like even before taking painkillers, do your research on what that is um, and and talk to your doctor as well. Um, for my use of marijuana, I consulted really heavily with my naturopath as well. And she was really in support of that. Um so yeah, just make sure you do your research. It's not something you want to be um, self, uh, not self-diagnosing, like self-administering, just like, yeah, you want to consult with someone who is a professional. Yeah, I love it. I think, you know, for women that are listening to this, there's a lot that they just can try for themselves that they probably wouldn't have learned about from their doctor or potentially maybe they have maybe they have great like doctors or like a great support system but I think obviously as you are also a nutritionist maybe we can quickly touch on how do you feel like does nutrition play a role in supporting you with endo like does it is there any connection to it is there like you know, is there something to take into account, your recommendation, you're obviously you're talking from your personal experience, but also you're with them around nutrition. But maybe yeah, yeah. share about that. Yeah, absolutely. So more and more we're start there's more research coming out that the cause of it that you know, the cause of endometriosis, what what creates it in your body is still unknown there's a lot of theories but more and more we're starting to see links to gut health so I would recommend absolutely everybody on this planet but particularly people that are experiencing menstrual pain or have endometriosis to take probiotics 100% Um, and also keeping up your omegas as well so omega-3 and omega-6 so you could take supplements like evening primrose oil which is um, high in omega-6 and then you can take um, uh, omega-3 so um, there's vegan non-vegan sources of that um, I'm vegan so I personally do like hemp seeds chia seeds flax seeds and I take um, an algae an omega-3 algae oil supplement um, as well so omegas are really important in the production of prostaglandins so while prostaglandins you know do cause um, that contraction um, to expel your menstrual blood it's it they serve so many other purposes in your body as well and you need that part of your body to be healthy and functioning well so omegas are really important in that um anti-inflammatory foods as well lots of fruits and vegetables um 
and like cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower sprouts things like that and then on the other so so those are the good things that you can include into your diet but then we also have to consider things that we might be consuming that could be triggering a flare-up so um, we certainly know that refined sugars are not the greatest we also know that um in some people, gluten is not the greatest, like anything that's going to cause inflammation within the body. Um, and we want to be eating foods that promote, like, sorry, we want to be avoiding foods that are putting strain on the liver. So the liver metabolizes estrogen and excess Mm -hmm. estrogen that gets recycled around your body is what endometriosis loves. So estrogen is not necessarily bad in itself, but too much estrogen basically feeds endometriosis. And because estrogen is metabolized through the liver, we need to be taking care of our liver as much as we possibly can. So you have to think about the liver is always going to metabolize what the highest demand is so estrogen is going to be low on that list but let's say you drink a cup of coffee you have you know you have caffeine or you have um, alcohol for example your liver is going to prioritize metabolizing that um, before it gets to the estrogen so if you're overloading your liver with with things that it needs to to process it's not going to be able to get to the estrogen so you want to support your liver but then also limit things that are going to overload it so generally we try to stay away from caffeine even though that's really hard I love coffee but I really do have to limit myself and yeah I don't drink alcohol um and stress as well cortisol is processed through the liver so you need to try and find ways to de-stress your lifestyle um yeah those that's a really good place to start when you when you're thinking of nutrition and endometriosis amazing thank you so much for sharing this I think we talked about this I never know if it was like off you know podcast topic or like in the last podcast but when I knew I was going to stop taking the pill I got really educated about how I can support my body and I used to be the biggest coffee drinker not like I've never been like this kind of coffee addict of being like drinking eight cups a day or anything like for me because I don't really love sweet food it was like more so being like a dessert, you know, when someone would have a piece of cake after lunch, I'd be having like a good coffee or like after dinner, like I would have like the Italian blood in me, like I would always have like a nice espresso, espresso macchiato after dinner, like not understanding. After dinner? I know, like I was like, oh, it doesn't do anything with my sleep. And then I got educated. I was like, well, whether you believe that or not, it definitely does do something with your sleep. <laughs> um, and so I was like, yeah, that's what I was like. I was living the coffee life, but then I was like, okay, right. So what can I do to still enjoy that, but support my body? And so I switched to decaf and I can tell you I've tricked so many people and they're listening to this and they might know and they're like, be like, damn it, what? I tricked so many people into like drinking coffee at my place, not them not knowing it is like, decaf and they're being like you know the first cup in the morning being like oh now I'm a human being again oh my god I feel so much better after this coffee I just need coffee <laughs> and I was just sitting there. I love that trick I'm gonna do that actually because I drink decaf as well um so I just know. need that coffee flavor but anytime someone comes over I'm like oh but it's decaf 
Oh, but I'm going to just God. not, no, I'm just not going to tell them now. Oh, I love that. Tell them, maybe like six hours after they've told you how many times how good that coffee was for them. Because the thing is, it's not the caffeine that makes you awake. It's actually the hot drink. Like, you know how, I mean, you know this, but our body temperature goes down throughout the day. And that's when like, why we sleep a lot better when we're in a cold environment, because the more like there's a temperature that kind of regulates that. And so when you have like an afternoon dip, I always tell my clients, you don't need a coffee. You need a hot drink. You need to move. You need to bring some temperature into your body to wake up. But for Mm. me now I can like, if I get to a point like we're in a nice coffee place and they just don't have decaf, I mean like, okay, like, you know, one off, let me have a normal coffee. Like, the reaction in my body like I could even draw you a picture like honestly before that reaction everyone has that reaction but you feel it more intensely if you don't drink coffee every day because you just get used to it but like my heart starts racing and I can tell Mm. like I'm a fast talker like I consciously slow myself down when speaking and I can get like when I'm passionate about something like I don't think people can follow what I'm saying because I get really fast but when I get a coffee I talk 30 minutes straight. I feel like I can't breathe in between because like everything gets faster. You know, I just get like kind of hyper, but not in a way that people necessarily notice. But I can tell like, I like my body cannot keep up and I get the crash. And that's the thing with caffeine. Like, yes, you might feel like really awake and you peak and then you crash a lot more. Mm. So that's why you need a lot more coffee. But if you would just move your body, drink maybe a decaf coffee, maybe have a tea or just some hot water, you would have the benefit that coffee brings you, but you don't have the downside of it. And that's why I'm like, I'm just like, for me, that was like an easy switch to make because I could tell, oh, wow, I'm not having like this high and low kind of like, I'm just having very sustainable energy around this. And so now I'm like, my God, I would drink espresso after dinner, like almost every night, like what? I know it's crazy when you look back hey Uh, you know my body was so used to it that I didn't I couldn't see the signals I couldn't see like I didn't feel the reaction as such obviously it was still happening and the thing is with like coffee every time you're having a coffee your cortisol levels rises like your stress level so that's where I was like oh okay so I understand the health benefits of having a coffee I can have like a whole podcast about coffee. It was such a big topic for people. They're like, I could never not drink coffee. But mm. honestly, like people, like if you go in there and be like, oh, decaf, decaf tastes different, decaf is going to taste different. But if mm. you go in there thinking you're having a normal coffee, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. I've done an experiment, seen it many times. <laughs> people have been like, oh, finally, I'm awake finally like I feel so much better for this coffee yes you feel even better because it's decaf so I went on Mm, I'm gonna try that yeah yeah I like it's interesting coffee was like one of the hardest things for me to give up because I love coffee I love 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 it and then so switching to decaf really helped but do you know I think it's not necessarily the caffeine kick that I got out of it. It's like the ritual around waking up and having that hot drink in the morning. So I would suggest if you're, you know, trying to, if you have to cut coffee out your diet because of something like this, 
come up with a ritual find if it's not decaf find another drink that you really really love and still have your morning ritual um and that's going to be the easiest way I think I agree and also you know it could be an option for you to just switch to like you know slowly and surely like you don't have to if you straight cut caffeine out of your life you might have actually like literally headaches and like you know symptoms of like what is it called like when you usually take drugs and you stop taking drugs like withdrawal withdrawal Withdrawal. yeah you will have headaches and stuff like that fatigue it's real like you can definitely experience that yeah I think coffee is a drug no one talks about to be honest but we should do a whole you should do an episode on just coffee I love that topic. Basically, you know, there's mushroom coffees, like there's healthier versions of coffees that help you kind of balance that stress level that coffee brings into your life as well. And like you said, just finding a different ritual. For me, the easiest thing was just to switch to decaf because then I could keep my ritual. Like I stopped, I think, drinking maybe all times espresso after dinners, but I might still do if they have like decaf. But I just switched to decaf and I think that was like the easiest for me because I could keep my rituals and it honestly didn't feel like I made a difference, but I could tell the difference it felt like in my body after a while. Yeah. Okay. We went on a tangent. What did we talk about? <laughs> Diet. We Endo about- and coffee. Endometriosis and coffee can be the oh name of them. <laughs> yeah. You, we could do like coffee shots with endo. <laughs> like, oh my God. No, okay. So we talked about diet, obviously. I just quickly want to touch on, you were saying um, to increase anti-inflammatory foods in your diet. Can you just name, and you named a few already, but just if Mm. someone kind of lazy Googling or is like, oh, what is this? There's so much information. Can you just name like a few that are easy to incorporate? And you named obviously some, but so that people can connect. Yeah. Well, well, generally, um, fruits and vegetables are anti-inflammatory in their nature, but think of like your green um, vegetables and your cruciferous vegetables. So like your broccoli, um, cauliflower is another cruciferous vegetable and sprouts and things like that. Um, Also, anything that has omegas in it is generally anti-inflammatory in nature as well. Um, Yeah, I would start with the green things. Amazing. Cute. Yeah. What would you say is one question? And you know this question, but what is one question I haven't asked you yet that you think we have to answer today in connection with Endo for anyone listening to this interview? Mm, so, what is this one question that we haven't answered today? This is basically your ticket to talk about anything about Endo that you might have not talked about just because I didn't kind of guide you towards the direction. So anything that you like, oh my God, we haven't answered this question, or this is something I really want to share about it. That is basically your, your time for it. You're like, because yeah. obviously I can um, ask you other questions, but I might not ask questions that give us all the wisdom that you want to share about this topic. Yeah, I guess. Well, I can just share a little bit about like my goal with the work that I'm sharing. And like, I, I just, because endo is so prevalent, 10% of women, we're just going to go with that on average. Um, because it affects so many people, I feel like 
everybody, like if you ask someone, um, have you heard of endometriosis? I feel like their answer needs to be yes. So Mm -hmm. my goal with this work is to have endometriosis be like a term that everybody has heard of. Now they might not necessarily understand it fully because that's a really steep learning curve, but I think that they at least need to have heard of what it is chances are they know somebody that is affected by it and just in general what this means you know that it that it's a debilitating and painful condition um because at the moment there's not as much awareness as what I believe there should be um around it and even you know we were talking um you know off the recording earlier we just had the Australian census here um Mm. this week so the census I don't know if you have it in in Germany as well but the census is like Australia's largest population survey where we learn about what health issues Australians are facing what challenges Australians are facing that type of stuff and they had a section there for chronic illness And they listed, you know, several, they probably had about 10 to 15 different chronic illnesses that were listed, um, which endometriosis was not one of them. However, the prevalence of endometriosis is, you know, just as much as diabetes, you know, it's, it's really high up there, but because it doesn't affect men and women, the prevalence in the entire population is is less. So they didn't give endometriosis as an option. So endometriosis was not represented in the Australian, you know, health data. And they had just a box that you could tick, which was called other, if you have an other illness, but they didn't give you the opportunity to specify which illness that is. So I was very disappointed and very let down that endometriosis was not represented in this data. That's just my tangent that I had to say. So my goal with this work is to have endometriosis be represented, to have it be recognized, because I feel at the moment the voices of women who are suffering are just not being heard. It's not being recognized as much as what it needs to be like one in one in nine, one in 10, like that number is huge. It's huge. It's huge. And yeah. we can't keep ignoring it. So I'm just going to keep being really loud with my voice um, so we can get some representation and some more research and some more funding so we can improve the quality of life and improve the diagnosis for women and people. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing this. I completely agree. I mean, like, that's what I said. Why, when I heard that you were also actually that you have endo and that you talk about it, I was like, okay, we've got to have a part two. It's so, so important to empower women to find out about this, to learn. And it's just generally like everyone to know so that you can even help other people to maybe be guided towards checking that out for themselves. Now, of course, like with things like having endo and suffering, usually it has this negative tone to it. And I just want to ask you if you would think of endo as a teacher, what do you think has this, um, yeah, this experience taught you? Oh my gosh, so much. It's, it's interesting because I feel like I was supposed to have endometriosis to be able to do the work that I'm doing. I think the work that I do would not be as potent as what it is if I didn't have this like firsthand experience. And I truly believe that I was put on this planet to help women not only just get in touch with their menstrual cycles, but women that are dealing with endometriosis on how to get their diagnosis and how to live with it properly, like live with it in harmony. So 
there's there's that whole aspect of it's really guided my career and I'm very grateful for it in that aspect and then on the other hand it's really taught me the art of surrender and like so many times even you know like I mentioned this period just gone where it just totally broke me I had so much anger inside of me of being like why am I dealing with this um but I at to get past that, I had to surrender. I had to give in. I had to get to this point of acceptance. So I feel like it strengthened that, you know, it's like a muscle, like the more you use it, the more effective it gets. So I've got this acceptance muscle or this like surrender muscle now that is like really strong. And I feel like now I'm better equipped to accept and surrender to other things in my life as well. Um, so there's many, many good things that have come from it. Um, and also it's helped me to really move past victim mentality, not through just endo, but through anything else in my life. It's like, you can't just stay in this victim mentality because it's a really miserable place to be. It's not getting you anywhere. It's not empowering. So yeah, it's a lot of mindset shifts it has given me. Yeah. Yeah beautiful thank you for sharing that now thank you if you were to like you know like what is your core message like to anyone listening to this to anyone that might potentially have this what is the one thing that you want to tell every single woman that is listening to this to take away from today Mm. well what I teach and what I'm really passionate about is helping women to understand that your menstrual cycle is a direct line to your overall health. So if there is anything abnormal in your menstrual cycle, please don't ignore it. It is your body's message of telling you that there's something that needs attention. Um, And honestly, as women, that is such a gift. Like we have that, we have this health tool available to us. So That's why it's really important to get in touch with our cycle to learn exactly what we feel like in each phase of our cycle, because if there are changes, even if they're subtle, it helps us to explore what they are because we know we should be feeling one way, but maybe we're feeling, you know, a little bit different. And that that could raise not necessarily a red flag, but it should be interesting to you to say, hmm, why do I feel this way? And that's why I love keeping a diary on my menstrual cycle as well. And I encourage everyone to keep a diary so you can find these subtle changes. So yes, your menstrual cycle is a direct line to your health is my core message. And my goal is to have women happy and healthy and well and in touch with themselves and empowered and beautiful and amazing. (laughs) I love it. So you know this question from last time, but let's do it and do a version of it. So if you were limited mm-hmm. to share your heart and wisdom with the world in only one sentence, so your heart and wisdom around endometriosis, mm-hmm. what would that be? Well, I think I was prompted from what you mentioned earlier of just you you asked me what having endometriosis has taught me. And I think it would be that same question or that same inquiry as well of even though you can be suffering so deeply and wondering why you have to deal with this disease or this this illness um 
flip the script around to see what am I getting out of this? What am I gaining? And, you know, you're asking yourself, why do I have this? Why do I have this doesn't necessarily have to have a negative answer. It could have a very powerful and beautiful answer as well. Um, And there are things that come from this that will, that, that are meant to be, I, I truly believe that, you know, what has happened is sort of meant to happen for you. So this is part of your journey. Um, and now it's your um, chance to do the work, I suppose, or to do the inquiry to figure out why this is part of your journey and how this is going to help aid you um, moving forward in your journey. Thank you so much. You have shared so much wisdom with us today. Obviously, you know, like we could talk for hours about this and a million different topics, but all the good things, you know, no, actually, I don't want to say all the good things have to come to an end because that's like one of those phrases conditioning that we don't like good things don't have to come to an end. But this part two, I think it's a great moment to wrap it up. Now, of course, you've given us so much today and you already shared a little bit of how people can find you uh, in the last episode, but remind people where they can find you and also how can we support you in your journey? Yes. So I spend most of my time on Instagram, which is just my personal Instagram, which is Consciously Kim. Um, so I, if you follow me there, I do respond to my messages and I do look at profiles back who follow me and I like to create a sense of community and yeah, feel free to ask me any questions or if you're, you know, in this, at the part of your journey where you're looking for answers or to get a diagnosis that can help you, you know, provide you with questions to take to your GP and things like that. So don't be shy to reach out if you are in need of help as well. Thank you so much, my love. That has been beautiful. I enjoy being in your energy so much. And I know that there's going to be so, 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 so much for the women listening to this and the beautiful souls all over the world listening to this to take away from today. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. And thank you for everyone who was here to listen. So if you love this episode, do you know, of course, how much Kimberly and I would love for you to just send us a message or share it on the stories or put a little review um, on whichever app you're listening to this and we or I and there's going to be definitely like new parts with Kimberly too but I will hear you or speak to you in the next episode hey beautiful soul thank you so much for tuning in today if you love today's episode it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes and share a screenshot of this episode on social media as it truly supports me and my work Send me a screenshot of your review or tag me in your share and I will personally send you a free guided meditation as thank you. If you aren't following me on social media yet, find me at chariangelina.coach and let's connect. I hope you got from this episode everything you needed right now in order to connect with your higher self. And remember, it's already yours, babe.